Oh, now it's on. Hooked up here. Good morning, everyone. And happy summer. And Father's Day. <laughs> and happy Father's Day. That's right. We should, uh, we should acknowledge today is Father's Day. There are several fathers in class right now. And several of you are fathers of fathers. And the generations go on. And uh, maybe just a brief comment on that. You know, I, when I think of Father's Day, I always remember uh, something. When I was, when I was younger... And it was probably before we actually had kids. Somebody told me, in being a father, they said, remember that uh, your kid's first vision of the character of God will be what they see in you. And, and that's always been a really heavy weight for me to, to carry. That that's what they would see in us. And it causes us, all of us who are fathers, to pursue God and to get to know him, recognize that others will see him in us. Uh, and then hopefully that will transition where they'll quit looking at us and then kids will learn to follow God. But may they, may they from each of us receive an accurate example of, uh, of the character of God. Well, thank you for being in class. We are starting a new series uh, today. I, my name, for those of you I don't know, my name is Bob Lawrence. This is Tim Hickman. Hello. <laughs> and uh, Tim has agreed to be a co-teacher uh, with me during this this summer session, and we're going to be going through this summer the book of John and the Gospel of John. And so if you have a Bible, if you would, turn over to the Gospel of John. This will be a fun ride through the book of John, and you're going to find fairly quickly that the book of John is not meant to be studied in a Bible class. <laughs> it was not written for uh, a week-by-week -week, uh, systematic study of the book. It's meant to be read start to finish. And so the very first order of business in the study of the book of John is to find it. And you'll find the book of John is in your New Testament. So if you have a, an old codex version of the Bible, an actual book version, uh, you're going to find the New Testament is about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. And there you're going to find four different versions of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and the fourth is John. And so if you would, take time to find that. Uh, book And then, this will sound strange too, we're actually going to begin in the end of John. And so if you would, turn to John chapter 20, and in a minute we'll begin with, uh, with verse 30. Earlier this year, we started looking intently at the life of Jesus. Uh, Scott Geyer led us through a tour of the land in which Jesus walked and talked during his human tour of, uh, of, the, of the earth, and then the, it led us to his death, burial, and resurrection, and then James Harris led us through a chronological, in a chronological order, the life of Jesus, really going through mostly the synoptics, but a little bit of John. And now we're going to take a step back. Now that we know where Jesus lived and what he did, we're now going to take a step back and let John, who is most likely the apostle who walked with Jesus, we're going to let him uh, allow us to sit down with them at that table with Jesus. They're gonna, uh, we're going to let John allow us to walk with them and to hear what they heard, to see what they saw, and then to, to actually catch John's invitation. Uh, and we're not going to give that away yet, but John's going to invite you 
with a very bold claim. And so we're going to begin this week uh, in our study of John by actually going to the end of John. And hopefully there in the end of John we'll get to see, get to see his purpose. But our goal in this, and I'll just state this from the beginning, is not that you walk away as academic uh, professors of a gospel. Our goal towards the end of this, or by the end of this, is that at least once, but preferably ten times, you've actually read through the book of John, start to finish. And I didn't tell you I was going to do this, this might be a good time to throw that in. Uh, Tim and I have both come to the point of recognizing that if you really want to get something out of a book, you don't just read a paragraph here or there. You don't just study it one chapter at a time, you read the whole book. Would you be willing to comment on what, what happened when you read John? So before we started this class and, and going into the study of it, I had read the book of John maybe a few times, uh, never once all the way through. Um, and so I think it was a couple weeks ago we were actually flying, and so I took the time to start from John 1, go through 21, um, and just read the whole thing in one setting, try to get rid of any, any connotations you had of it before or, or preconceived notions, and just read it for its, for its narrative. Um, and it was quite uh, unusual what happened um, I felt a very strong, visceral, emotional response. Um, you read through a story about a man who did, and even taking out the divinity of it for a moment, but just you read about this person who did wonderful things, amazing things for people, um, healed them, brought them, you know, restored their sight, and then without even thinking of the deeper meaning of any of these stories, and then they killed him. Um, and it just, it moves you to a point where you, you have to do something with this story. Um, it has to impact you in some way. You either take it in for what it was, it was entertaining, and you put it down, or you make it a, a transformational thing in your life, um, which is then, you know, it's, it, you, at least in my studies of the Bible, you read through things and you're like, well, what does that mean? I don't understand what I just read. And, and John helps us out quite a bit in that he tells us, this is why I put this story here which is then what leads us to what you see on the board is John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31. Um, And it's a great synopsis. It doesn't do justice to the whole story for sure. You need to get into it and read it, but it's a great synopsis of what you'll see in that story. And as we'll probably reiterate over and over again, uh, read the book. Um, Even if you've read it before, even if you've done studies on it before, in one sit-down, it'll take you about two and a half hours. So instead of a movie... Uh, read the book, and even if it doesn't um, hit you in the gut the first time, then read it again. Um, read it again. Uh, ask for other opinions. Get other resources. Find other things of how people have interpreted this, and then read it again. And I guarantee you, you'll find something amazing in it every time you do. Yeah. And here's what you're meant to catch. So John chapter 20, verse 30, John tells us why he wrote the whole book. Sometimes when you read a book out of the Bible, it will tell you its purpose near the beginning. There are other authors who will tell you somewhere in the middle why they wrote the book. Others at the end. John tends to tell you at the end. And so we have to turn to the end to figure out why it was written. So when you read through the whole book, start to finish, chapter 1 through 21, you're going to come to 20, and he tells you, here's the reason I wrote it. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, meaning the Gospel of John. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) The reason we pause there 
is having read this through start to finish and spent time with commentaries and online and diving deep, you still get to this point in the book, and if you've read it through, even just reading this one line, you get the chills. Oh, yeah. Because you realize this is where, where he led you. Well, here's what we'll do with the class. This is going to be an interactive class, a time for you to ask questions. If this is your first time to ever be introduced to the Gospel of John, this is a great time to raise your hand and say, what does that mean? Because we're still doing that, having read it through uh, many times. Uh, there'll be times where we ask for participation and input. Uh, but uh, others of you who would not feel comfortable asking a question in class, I hope you'll feel comfortable afterwards to come and say, hey, I read this. What, is, what does this mean? This would help me out. Uh, this is meant to be one of those classes that you walk away with something every single week. It preferably is going to send you back to your own room, close the door, and read the book. <laughs> You'll hear us say that over and over again. But let's just start with that. This will be our first discussion is what does this mean to believe in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God? Here, I'll pull up your picture for you. Well, and I think just to maybe preface that just a tad was, this was a picture that I came across a few years ago, which I'm sure many of you have seen, is when you first read John's synopsis statement, you know, well, who is Jesus? And clearly John takes an attempt to explain to you who that is, but it also makes you ask yourself in your own context, in your own worldview, who is Jesus? Which oftentimes, I think, leads people here. Um, If you're not familiar with this image, it's a painting by Warner Salman from... Uh, he did it in 1940, and I haven't looked up these statistics, but from what I've been told, this is the most reproduced image of Jesus in the world. Um, typically, on pretty much any any sports thing you can put an emblem on, his face has been on the exact same thing. Uh, it's in most people's homes. I think uh, a lot of people use it as in their prayer times or you know their own personal um, spiritual journeys, but hugely mass-produced image. Yeah. Any of you have this in your house? Yeah. So growing up. Uh-huh. <laughs> it, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen this? Have you all seen the picture? Yeah. And you would all agree that's a picture of Jesus. So you did. Now, why, what is it about this picture that say, well, yeah, that's what I, that, that's what I thought he looked like? Maybe he looked a little different. Is there anything about this picture, though, that brings out qualities of Jesus that you would say, oh, yeah, that's something I learned early to recognize? (laughs) (laughs) You don't don't like the long hair? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so Marilyn points out, I'm not so sure he would have had long hair, and I think his beard would have been cut in a traditional Jewish style. 
<laughs> and so the comment there is that the scripture says Jesus is the lamb, and we'll actually go through that next week, where Jesus is the lamb of God. And that doesn't look like the hair of a lamb. Maybe some Shetland type of sheep, you know, up in the far north. But. It's very clean and polished and angular. Yeah. So it doesn't really, it yeah. Mary, Mary, was, Mary was good about making sure Jesus cleaned up. So some people will be drawn to this because the depiction is, hey, that looks like me. Others would look at this and say, that doesn't look anything like me. And so it would be a hard, it would almost be a disconnect, wouldn't it? Yeah. to the Savior, yeah. as opposed to the Savior, yeah. Uh, Tony says that this distracts from what John is really trying to depict. Yeah, yeah. So Stephen says it from Isaiah, right, where it says, hey, when he shows up, when this Messiah shows up, you're not going to be attracted to the, way, to the way that he looks. Okay, so if this were a game show, you're saying basically you would vote this guy off the stage. He would <laughs> Not Jesus. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, that, so this one... Is it's a depiction of um, it's a um, uh, forensic studies. They I guess they analyze several skulls and from the from the period of the Middle East from this time frame. And this is the depiction that they come up with of what a standard Jewish man would look like in the first century Israel. And so now you get a depiction of what an average man would look like. And so same sort of idea. Then what sort of you know response would this give you? What do you think, Marilyn? Do you like his beard? Is his beard better? <laughs> yeah. Did any of you have this picture hanging up in your wall? Soon. Are no, you thinking will. about it? Are you saying, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go order this, Amazon. Yeah, this is a typical Jewish look from the first century. I mean, I thought of John the Baptist the first time I saw it. Did you? Like, he looks grungy. Looks like he just woke up from under a tree. Yeah. It looks like John the Baptist. John the, the Baptist, yeah. yeah. Uh, who would you assign here? If I, if I just said, ah, oh, this is one of the people you meet in the New Testament. Who's the first one that comes to mind? Which, if, you, if you were casting one of those shows about first century. Peter. <laughs> yeah. Now, why Peter? What is it? It's just that's who comes to mind. Yeah. Just kind of quick with his mouth, slow with his ears. That's what he looks like. 
Yeah, this is Simon the Zealot. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> he looks like a bad guy, Jerry says. Maybe so. Well, you, you see the point is that we rely on these pictures, these images, depictions of Jesus that have really been handed to us. And it's important to recognize that, that you probably come to the reading of John with an image of Jesus as the Messiah or the Christ, the Son of God, that has some truth to it. There are qualities that are probably true, but I I bet for most of us, when we go into reading this book, we go in with a preconceived idea of who Jesus is that actually uh, John's going to cause us to question. And once we've questioned that and we begin to see who this person, this being actually is, it gives us pause. And then we get to the end of John and realize, oh, we're being called to believe in someone who is not just going to change what you do today or tomorrow. He's changing you and transforming you. Well, let's, let's read how John actually begins his book. So uh, let's go back in your Bible. Go to John chapter 1. And let's just read the first 18 verses together. I'll let you read it. Would you read those? But here's what I'd like you to do. As we read through John 1, 1 through 18, this is what's been called the prologue. So the way John is split up, he'll give us an introduction. That's what we're going to read this morning. And then you get to go through two really major sections. One section deals with Jesus' signs, and then the second section will deal with him being glorified or you know, the spotlight from heaven being shown down on him. And then there's this epilogue at the end where John kind of wraps things up. What we're going to read today is the prologue and show you its purpose. But as Tim reads the prologue, if you would be looking for, and if you have a pencil or something and want to do it, mark the common words and phrases, things that you see that John just keeps hitting over and over and over again. If this were a Wikipedia page, think of them as little hyperlinks. And you'd say, oh, that word shows up enough time that I, it should have a hyperlink to it. And then let's discuss what words we find. So let's read the prologue, and then if you would, be looking for common words and phrases. Uh, So I'm reading from the New American Standard Version, uh, starting in verse 1 of chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, not even one thing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not grasp it. A man came, one sent from God, and his name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. This was the true light that coming into the world enlightens every person. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him. And yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not accept him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born, not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and called out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who was coming after me has proved to be my superior because he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. 
God the only Son, who is in the arms of the Father, he has explained him. He has made him known. He has explained him. Well, let's go through and and see. What did you what did you find? What are the common words and phrases that seem to show up? The word word. Yeah, of all words. Why why did he start with that? Good. God. Him. And those connected. Him is God. And then Tracy said light. Yeah. And it's helpful to hear that in two different versions, isn't it? Witness, we, uh, we usually think of a courtroom scene when we think of witness. Uh, but there are different types of witnesses. But a witness is called on to testify, to actually give. So it's the idea of the, the action. This is a witness who is doing something. Not just somebody who, ah, I happen to be a bystander. <laughs> you know, somebody who actually is on the witness stand to testify. Yeah, the world. What, is, what does that mean? Is it talking about the earth <laughs> or the people or the cultures? Let's find out. Yeah. Other words. So the word life. So light, but then also life. And did you see how those end up being somehow connected here? And what is life? Do you know through John, he's going to use, in fact, your English translations will translate several words into life. Uh, which one is he using here? Is this real life? Is he talking about the life of the body? Is he talking about uh, the lifespan? Uh, is he just talking about the stuff of life? What, does, what is the meaning of life? Yeah. Good, and so that, that word comes up a lot here too, doesn't it? Believing, although your version had a different one. Did you catch that? The word belief, I think it was accepted. Did anybody catch that? Uh, verse, what is that, 12? To those who believed received. in his name. Yeah. yeah, those who received or believed. What does it mean to believe in something? Yeah, to put faith in that. I think we're going to have to spend a whole week on just what does it mean to really believe. It's got to be more than just coming to know it or to hold on to something despite evidence to the contrary. It's got to mean something more than that. Yeah. Other words. Oh, the word Glory. Yeah, and there's another one. What does that mean? Does glory just mean something really shiny? Is that glory? Is somebody who's famous? Is it saying Jesus became famous? You know, what is glory? I bet we're going to have to spend a whole week on that. Ah, this word fullness. Out of everything that he is came what? I know, but what came out of, according to this? His grace and, did you catch these two words that were put together? Grace and truth. Yeah, those two came together. Where did that come from? I don't know if we're planning to get back to that. Do you remember where that came from? Uh, grace and, yeah. I, the things I always go back to is Exodus 34, yeah. or 32 through 34, 
um, where God uh, talks about his characteristics and who he is yeah. when he passes by Moses. Yeah. Yeah, do you know, uh, if I said John 3.16, I bet you could quote it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal. Did you know that uh, for Jews who followed the Torah and the Old Testament, they had their own John 3.16. Everybody knew, and it shows up over and over again throughout the Old Testament. And you're exactly right. It's Exodus 34, in which God passes by Moses, and, and God gives his characteristics. He says, the Lord, the Lord God, who is gracious and merciful, quick, or slow to anger, uh, quick to forgive, and full of, and he ends there, full of, um, I think it says... That's why I have faithfulness and truth. Okay, we just got to look it up. I think it's Let's also um, abounding uh, compassion. Or How do you spell Exodus? I always forget that. Exodus. Just put the E-X and then it'll pick it up. <laughs> I don't think it will. I think it's Exodus. Yeah. Do you, do you guys have trouble with that too? 34? Yeah, we rely on spell check a lot for our research. <laughs> okay, this is one of those things that's just way too cool to pass up. So uh, Exodus 34, it can't find it because I totally misspelled it. Didn't I? Well, and even in the context, you know, he's, it's at the exact moment God is passing by Moses. So Moses is on Mount Sinai. He's in this cleft of the rock. And God has put his hand over him, passed by, and it's as he's seeing his back going... God's back going across in that context of glory is this exact moment that God says this phrase to him. Yeah, why, why is it not finding Exodus 34? Oh, there it is. So <laughs> God is passing by. Moses is in the cleft of the rock. No, Moses cuts out two tablets of stone like the first because you remember what happened with the first one? Yeah, who's the only man in all of history who's broken all ten commandments at the same time? It was Moses. You remember? He was so mad. They made the golden calf. He threw them down and broke them. So he has to make these stones again. God's going to carve the law again. Uh, Moses got up early in the morning, Mount Sinai. The Lord descended into the cloud and stood there with him, and he proclaimed the name of Yahweh. This is the actual holy name of God. And Yahweh passed before him and proclaimed Yahweh, Yahweh, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast, get this, love and faithfulness. Uh, you wouldn't catch this exactly because this was written in Hebrew, but if you were to translate that to Greek as they did in the Septuagint, the two words there for steadfast love and faithfulness are grace, steadfast love is mercy, and faithfulness is trustworthy or true, grace and truth. So guess what John is saying? The law came through Moses, but these two things you mentioned, grace and truth, he's calling you back to this very, very uh, point in time where Jesus is the one, if you'll accept it, who passed by Moses that day. Or at least that was the characteristics, and that's what John is asking you to believe. Sorry, that was one of those exit ramps. Um, what, what other words and phrases? Any others? Well, even aside from just words, there's lots of um, thematic ideas that are happening, too. Like what? Um, you know, a contrast between light and dark, knowing and not knowing. Um, he's trying to, he's painting a picture of almost universal conflicts that exist in our world um, that each person is going through and is striving through, and he's going to hone in on each one of those and address them in very unique um, and personal ways uh, through the life and mission of Jesus. And, and the light and dark, I mean, because... 
And I guess even to touch on Exodus, where we just were, I mean, that's told, John doesn't even mention the name of Jesus in, in the prologue. Uh, not until the very end. In the first part, his first paragraph, he's honing in on this idea of the word and this concept of what it is. And he's saying it was with God and it was God, mm. which is then ties you back to grace and truth and Exodus, that it's the very thing, like you just said, that passed before Moses. It is the glory of God. And now it's, it's here. It's in the flesh. It's before us. Yeah. Um, and the revelation of that is just is, is hugely significant, um, not just on a, on a meta level for Christianity, but on a very personal level. Um, God being with us and among us. And so why does he do that? Why does John begin this way? It's a movie production. Thanks, Brad. That was very well said. And especially that part about how we as Christians, really, we come to follow Jesus, and then he takes us back to the Torah and the Old Testament and the prophets. Uh, But the first people reading this probably would have been a mix of both. John is writing this 30, maybe 60 years after the death, burial, and resurrection. So he's pulling together these Greek individuals who were not Jews, Gentiles, and Jewish people. And then, as you say, it's romantic or poetic almost, in the way he presents this, so that it's meant to be reflected on and as a body. And it's it's a beautiful picture of the church coming together, those who came from the Torah to Jesus, those who came to Jesus first and are being introduced to this story that's been going on from the beginning. Sorry, you got me thinking about it too, Brad. But yeah, that's, that's what it's meant exactly to do. That's, can, we, can we just use that as the leap off to this other point? Is The whole beginning of John is different, probably for that very reason. Uh, so we're going to skip this quote here. 
pull me back to that later if we need to. But let's look at each of the beginning. Just flip your Bible back to Matthew. And uh, Matthew, do you have these pulled up? Uh, yeah. I'm just going to leave John 1, 1 up here. So, yeah, Matthew 1, 1. The record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and then continues on to the genealogy. That's how Matthew begins. It's going to give you the genealogy. What about Mark 1, 1? How does that begin? In the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. So if you flip over to Mark 1, 1, the beginning of the... Gospel. Gospel, meaning the good news or the story about Jesus, the Son of God. And then we get to Luke, and it's a little bit longer. So Luke uh, 1 through 4. Since many have undertaken to compile an account of these things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, it seemed fitting to me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in an orderly sequence, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. And then that brings us to John 1. Now, before we hit John 1, what are the things you notice about Matthew, Mark, and Luke in terms of just the way they begin? Is there any common theme, or do you recognize something there? Just, just the facts, yeah. It is, it is, kind of like an opening statement in a courtroom. Here's what we're going to present. Anything else stand out? Ah, interesting. Yeah, they're all a point in time. Yeah, it's almost like they all take you back historically to a date you can find on the calendar and say, mark this. Here's the, here's the beginning, and that's what's being presented. These were probably written somewhere, it's debatable, but let's say 20 years after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, you get Matthew was probably circulating in a Hebrew form first, then translated to Greek, and then you get Mark. <laughs> I have, I have uh, colleagues or you know, scholars that will totally debate with that. They'll say Mark came first, but I say it was Matthew. And then uh, Luke comes later and investigates everything. But all of those probably written before 60 uh, 60 A.D. John was most likely written 80, 90 A.D., according to most scholars. It might have been pre-70, but most people would say probably 80 to 90 when it was written down. That's decades later. And then John begins in this very poetic way. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with Yeah, they all, so all four of them do, right, the beginning. And those first three, as Matt says, take you back to the beginning of a human existence, an embryonic dropping into existence. What does John take you back to? The, the very foundation of the world. And he tells you that this gospel began not on a date that you can put on a calendar, but to the beginning of, the beginning of all time. Any other, any other insights there in terms of the contrast? I mean, and, and playing off of, Stephen, what you said about this was maybe primarily written to the Jews, I mean, clearly 
if you if you read this opening prologue, as especially if you're coming from a Jewish background, you're going to immediately be linked back, to, like you said, all these hyperlinks. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to draw on Genesis. You're going to draw on the Torah. You're going to draw on the prophets, and it's going to stand out clear as day to you. Mm-hmm. Um, but one one comment to that that I read, and one of the commentaries was talking about in John 20, in that verse, it, 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 the verbs that are used aren't necessarily so that you can believe, but it's also so you can believe, and it has connotations of so you can keep on believing, mm-hmm. which which I think empowers John all the more, because now it's not read it once, here's your witness, believe and go. It's read it and then keep reading it so that your faith is constantly fueled and your belief is constantly being built up on this fact that in the beginning was the word. Um, and, and everything that goes along with that. I mean, because if John had spent the time to write out a dissertation on this, I mean, all the books in the world wouldn't have contained all the information that he would have had. Um, so it's a, it's a beautiful tie-in, I mean, which just makes you have to stop. You know, you get there and you're like, oh, I've read that before. Go read where you read that from. I mean, he's calling you into the entire Hebrew scriptures to know them, to love them. And, and just in the cultural context, they would have had these things mostly memorized, which is just mind-boggling. Um, and they would have been able to recall it fairly quickly. And it's fascinating that he begins with the word. Tracy, you pointed this out. He, he decides to begin with the word, word, <laughs> uh, which in Greek is the word logos, You've heard of a logo, you know, like a symbol that means something deeper, or the word logic gives you a little idea of what that word would mean in Greek. But why does, why does John begin his word with the word word, <laughs> which seems a little strange. It's very poetic the way he puts it out. But why would he pick that? What was that meant to capture? And here's where we get to John's big claim. This is probably the take-home for the, this week. And that is John's big claim, and you saw this in verse 14, is that the word became flesh. The word became a living, breathing human being. So what is this word? What did John mean by that? And this is where it's important not just to use our definition of the word word, but to go back. Let me just give you a couple of things that he could have meant. Uh, When John picks the word word, he could have just meant word like you and I talk about the word word. Everything that you do, every, in fact, our communicating right now is being contained by words. All of those words have certain meanings and range of meanings. Uh, if I say, uh, just try this, a bit of an experiment. Raise your, raise your right hand. Everybody raise your right hand and make a fist. Let me see your fists. Everybody's pretty good at that. Good. Now, for you to do that, you realize that action, what you did and what you made, started with a word. And that word had a certain defined range of meanings. That word in your brain, you had a definition for that. <laughs> you built that definition and then you made something based on that word. That word that I said actually came from my brain. Isn't that amazing? If you went all the way back, it goes to a word, and that word has a very definite range of meanings. If I just said, raise your right hand, you could have raised that in any manner of ways. You could have thought, well, that sounds like a courtroom. I'm going to raise it like I do there. You could have been, I don't know what he's talking about, just kind of <laughs> waving the hand. You could have raised a finger. You know, it's, uh, it, The word hand doesn't have the same you know, definite range of meaning. It's broader. So words can be very narrow. They can be pretty broad. Well, could it be that what John is saying is that when we start talking about Jesus, the word is so broad in its meaning that it contains everything, which is a powerful thought. Well, that's a modern way of looking at it. If you go back to the first century and just threw out this word logos on the streets in Ephesus where John spent some time and might have written this book, certainly in Jerusalem in that area during the Hellenized period, what did the word word mean? 
Well, the word was logos, and it was kind of like the word logo, where one small word has this huge, you know, range of meanings, but it also meant logic. And deeper in the philosophies of ancient Greece, the logos was one of the ways they referred to God, meaning the supreme being. So if you took Zeus, you know, the supreme being, and they would say that the supreme being had two aspects. One, a mind, which they called nous, and then also an active form, which they called logos. That was the active form of God. And could it be that what John was saying is that the active form of God became flesh, became a human being? That would have clicked with the the Greek mind, especially the Christians who had thought about this for a long time and grown up in a Hellenized world. But John also was a Jew. And so layers and layers of this are laid upon this foundational understanding of what the word word means in your Old Testament. And do you know what the word uh, for word is in Hebrew in your Old Testament? You're never going to forget this. The word in your Old Testament in Hebrew is the word dabar. (laughs) Did you know that? So when somebody says, do you go to dabar, you go to the church of the word. Isn't that great? (laughs) That's a, that's a word in Hebrew. And when that shows up, uh, it always shows up in this active form. We only have time for one quick example, but you'll find this all over your uh, Old Testament. This is, I'm going to take you back to Psalm 33. For the, the word, the debar, of the Lord is upright, and all his works is done in faithfulness or truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord by the word the debar of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. Well, this is just one example. You'll see this all over the Old Testament, where when you think of God's word, it is not just in a scripture or a written form. It is that active form of God in which everything God does begins with his word. And you know this is true from Genesis 1.1. God speaks light into existence. He speaks creation into existence. And John takes us back to that meaning of the word word. And he says, in the beginning was the word of the Lord. And the word was with God. And, the, and God the word was. It says in Greek, through him all things were made. And without him nothing was made. That which was made in him was life. And that life was the light of men. And then John takes you through that and makes the big claim. And here's the big claim for the week. That word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Any reflections on that? Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. I think especially, again, to go back to, if you have that whole idea of the tabernacle and the temple and God's presence among his people, and now that presence, that full glory, is in the manifestation of a human being walking, living, breathing, acting among you, it's, whoa. (laughs) Yeah. Well, our time is closing really short. Any questions or reflections before we give you the book of John? Yeah. 
Yeah, well said. Jesus has been there the whole time. Even before time. Yeah, the way we think about it. That's right. We'll hit that in John 17, won't we? I just thought of his prayer. You're exactly right. Yeah. Everybody good with that? Well, here's the assignment this week. Um, why don't you say, this was really cool what you said. Most Bible classes, you yeah. say, okay, next week we're going to be in John chapter uh, 1, verse 19. Go ahead and read this. <laughs> Tim said last night, that's not going to be this yeah. class. We're going to be in the book of John next week. <laughs> so please read the whole book. <laughs> yeah, the real point of this is you don't get a lesson on John from just reading the prologue or reading chapter 1 or 2 or 3. The real point you get from John is reading start to finish. Uh, chapter 1 all the way through 21. And, and so for next week, read the book of John. And we'll dive a little deeper into some of these themes. Thank you. <laughs>